I'm taking you to Acts chapter 5 today. If you were here last week, it's we were in the Acts chapter 4. And we're now you just got to go over one more chapter. See, we're looking at where Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord, and they were added to their number. As a result, the people brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. The crowds gathered together, from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them went to be healed. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them on public trial. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But upon arriving at the jail, the officials did not find them. They went back and reported, We have found the jail securely locked, and the guards still standing at the doors. When we opened them, no one was found inside. Upon hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts teaching the people. We'll end our reading at this moment. See, last week, like I said, we were in chapter 4. If you're coming in the middle of the sermon series, we just finished up a series on the warfare that we will be into, and now we're moving into something else called persecution. See, they were brought before that Sanhedrin. This next chapter, we find that once again, Satan had failed completely in his attempt to silence the witness of the apostles and of the new church. However, the enemy never gives up. He simply changes his strategy. We must face the fact that Satan is a clever foe. If he does not succeed as a devouring lion, he attacks us as a deceiving serpent or as an angel of light. Satan and his minions are both murderers and liars, and the church must be prepared for the attacks. Now, this if you're a visitor, this is hard teaching for a first time, but this is continuing a sermon series. We have to be prepared. The world that you and I live in, sitting here today, is setting itself against the ways of God, and persecution is headed our way. So how do we prepare to stand firm on our faith? Now Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, he concludes with a story that was rather familiar to me, because... I met these Wesleyan missionaries, actually, who were connected to this event, 
And I, I met them, him and his wife, about six years ago. We were at the Wesleyan Ministers Gathering in Florida, and we'd get, we actually sat next to them in one session. You know, just one event, but I sat next to them. And in the book, Francis Chan tells of some men who were serving Christ in Turkey. Turkey is a very dangerous area. And they were inviting people to get to know Jesus Christ. They thought they were reaching a group of men until one day, as they were in their office printing literature to share their faith, this group of men entered and took their lives with knives. What amazed me about the story is that their wives held a press conference shortly thereafter and spoke boldly of their love for Christ giving and it gave them the ability to forgive the men who had murdered their husbands the thought of this kind of persecution happening was never really near to me but when i read this account because of the missionary i'd met he and his wife they'd returned to the states shortly before these events happened he actually told me that some of these men these men were his friends, and, and some of them even had stood as part of their wedding party when they got married over there in Turkey. The missionary could have been one of these men who had their head removed from them. Pure persecution shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Okay, sidebar here. Anybody in your family think you're crazy? Okay, you... My brother thinks I'm crazy. My dad thought I was crazy. He thought I was going to just doing this to make my wife happy. Someone thinks you're crazy. You're not crazy. So let me bring this home. Jesus promised that persecution would happen. Listen to John chapter five, 15 verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. We are his servants. And we shouldn't expect better treatment than our master. They persecuted him. Why wouldn't they persecute us? Frankly, we're blessed to live here in America. It seems like the vast majority of the persecution we receive here is verbal. People who oppose us may get angry and bully us and even try to shout us down to silence our voices. But there are places in this world where Christians' gatherings must be done in secret. People in places like Turkey, China, India, Nepal have to decide if their love for Jesus is more important than their love for life. The time is coming and may have already begun when the hate from the world towards God is going to force us to make a choice. Will I stand on the rock or will I fail in the sand? Right now, I think it's easy to say, I will be strong in faith and nothing will separate me from the love of God. But I pray 
for us sitting here today that God will keep us strong as the future unfolds before us. To give us strength. Now, having lived in the cities when I was younger, growing up in the cities, I've been in situations where I've been standing in the middle of an argument and trying to calm things down. Or in my former life in retail, I've been standing in an argument trying to catch a shoplifter. I I ran retail stores to be a visitor. And I know that someone's had a weapon, a pocket knife, a knife, a gun in their pockets. And I probably would have been the first one hurt if it had gotten any farther because I was standing in the middle. But even in all that, I did not have to affirm or deny my faith. I was just in the middle. I've actually stood up for people who are, who bullied myself or others for having their faith in the workplace. When I was in the workplace, they told me to take a picture down. I told them no. The worst they could have done is fire me. I have not been placed in the position where I must deny Christ or die. And I hope I never am. I'll be honest with you. But we're getting closer to a time which might be a reality or must be a reality. So how do we prepare to say we must obey God rather than men? It begins with conviction. Of belief. What does this conviction consist of? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Some of their answers include, You are John the Baptist. You are Elijah. You are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus asked, Who do you say? Who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up and answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus responds, You are correct, and on this rock, that is his statement of you, who you are, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock of what we talk about. As we look into God's holy word, this verse seems to keep popping up in one way or the other all throughout it. It is foundational. It is what our church is built upon. It is the reason when someone asks what they need to do to be saved, we tell them to believe in Jesus. That he is the son of God, that he lived on this earth without sin, and yet he was killed, and he was on the cross, and he was buried in the tomb. And yet God raised him to life three days later, so that we can be forgiven. We explain they need to repent. Terrible word, they need to repent, and turn away from their sins, and turn towards the ways of God. They need to confess, declare that Jesus is now their Lord and Savior. And we encourage them to live a life following God as part of his family, the church. 
We must have this conviction of belief. We also have a rec, we have to recognize the commission. That is a fancy word for what we are called to do in this world. What makes one qualified to speak about salvation? What makes one qualified? As we look in the previous chapter of Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John had been arrested and warned not to preach about Jesus. Sidebar here. The same guys that just killed Jesus had just warned them about preaching about Jesus. This is important. And, 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 it was noted that the Sanhedrin that noted, they knew that these men were uneducated. They were, un, they were common men who had been with Jesus. You see, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Let me, let me make sense of this here now. From the Bible, I'm going to give you a list. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonathan ran away from God. Jonah ran away from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a warrior. Elijah was moody. And Moses stuttered. Zacharias was too short. Abraham was too old. And Lazarus was dead. And God used each one of them to accomplish his purpose. And he can use you and me too. We're not dead yet. Jesus gave us our commission with a wonderful promise. Matthew chapter 28. I want you to listen to it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on this earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to this very end of the age. We're told go. And if you look at the structure In the original Greek language, it contains the idea of wherever you go. Here at church, in your neighborhood, at the local McDonald's, in your school, at your work, with your friends. Wherever you are, make disciples. How does Jesus tell us to do this? Baptize them and teach. Notice the order. Sometimes we think... We need to make sure the person understands all the nuances of our faith. Actually, as long as they understand that they are a sinner and need a a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, they become what the Bible calls a baby Christian. They don't need to understand it all to begin with, but they need to accept Jesus. But we don't stop there. 
We continue to teach so they grow stronger in their faith. Being discipled towards maturity. I love the promise Jesus gives us. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, preparation and prayer is the next thing we need. We should be praying about all things. And it only makes sense that we should pray to prepare for the coming persecution. It's coming faster than we sitting here realize. I am convinced of that with all my heart. The apostles set the example again as we look back at the chapter, Acts chapter 4, we see they went to other believers upon their release and they prayed together. Let me read to you that prayer. Acts chapter 4, I want to start in verse 23. Upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke to us by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father David. And it goes on. And, after, and they pray, if we go down to verse 30, it says, Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And they prayed and the whole place was shaken. They prayed that they started off by recognizing that God was sovereign. He was the creator of this world. And they acknowledge that the kings of this world have set themselves in opposition to God, if you read that whole prayer. And they ask for boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus. As, as God works through signs and wonders confirming their testimony. And now, now notice how God answers. Right there and then, the earthquake shaked and the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke of with boldness. Now the Christian singer and performer Jeremy Camp wrote a song that summarizes a number of scripture passages that we're going to be in today and it reminds us of that same power. And the chorus goes in his song this song goes like this. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. That same power that moves the mountains when he speaks, that same power that can calm the raging sea, lives in us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, so we need to be constantly in prayer. As we do, we need to trust God. We serve a God who still answers prayer. We've seen that in this church time after time. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says maybe, and sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says no, it's not the right time, but he answers prayer. We've seen him many times in this church. 
Let's trust in Him and His promises. There will be times when we're called to stand in grace and truth and trust God to see us through. As I was preparing for this morning's sermon, I noticed how Paul prayed on our behalf. In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, I'm going to take you to chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth has its drives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit to your inner being, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all fullness. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work with us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever. Amen. Paul prayed that out of his glorious riches, that he will give you strength. That you will have strength and power of the Holy Spirit, which is now indwelling in you. You will have strength to comprehend and breathe and the breadth and the length and the height and the depth that God's love is for you. It is immense. Now this next one I'm not going to try to explain. I just want you to think about it. He prayed that you would have strength to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How does that even work? That may be one of, have, that may be one of those questions I'm going to save when I'm in the presence of God. Surpasses knowledge. Then he prayed that you would be filled to the fullness of God so that all that you do, God will get the glory. He is the one who's able to do far more abundantly than any of us can ask or think of. Then we need to stand in faith. When the time of persecution comes, we want to be able to stand. These previous weeks, if you're a visitor, we have looked as Paul told us what we need, how do we need to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand in times of persecution. This is where we find the apostles in this text we read at the beginning of the sermon. Peter and John had been warned to stop preaching about Jesus, but they refused. They continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And God confirmed their message with signs and wonders. It reached a point. Now think about this. It reached a point where they would lay sick people in the road. Just so the shadow could fall on them. In hopes that Peter, as he passed by, the shadow would just touch him and heal him. 
and the chief priests and the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe it's possible, they never thought it was possible, get jealous and decide to act. This time, they arrest all the apostles and throw them in jail for the night. Everyone's arrested, not just two, so they can stand trial in the morning. By Jewish law, you could not stand trial at night, only in daylight could the trial be. An angel intervened, releases the apostles, instructing them to return to the temple to preach. Sidebar here, sidebar. Door was locked when they got there. Think about this. The door was locked when they got there. The guards were still standing outside the door. And they all the apostles were outside the door. I'll leave that for you to ponder for a future reading. It's a great pondering. The next morning, the chief priests and the, and the apostles, they found that the guards in the jail entrance, the doors were still locked and the guards were out there and they opened the doors and nobody was in the room. Ponder that. Where'd all the people gone? Where are they going? Well, they get a report that the prisoners are again at the temple teaching about Jesus. They send the guards cautiously to gather them up and bring them before the Sanhedrin because they didn't want to make a riot. The Sanhedrin reminds them that they'd been warned about preaching about Jesus, but the apostles declared, we must obey God rather than men. They were able to stand strong in the face of persecution. The same people who had Jesus killed, they were standing before him and say, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing that. Then Paul, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about Father Abraham and Rahab the harlot. When persecution comes, we need to recognize why. We're under attack as people because people are calling us No, I'm going to make sense of this, so bear with me. This is very delicate, so I'm just going to be quite honest about it. If we are on attack because someone's calling us about our doing sinful things that we shouldn't be engaged in, in that case, we shouldn't do it. Now, there are people in churches who've done bad things and we shouldn't do it. But if we're under, pardon me, if we're under attack because we're living out our faith, then we can rejoice. You see what the difference is? There are a lot of people done things wrong in church. I'm not arguing that. But if you're under attack because you're living out your faith, it's a total different world. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Bear with me. 5.16 says... How about if I start at 14? I like starting at 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everywhere in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's prepare ourselves Now let's be honest about this because persecution's coming. It is coming. Let's live our lives in such a way that people see us and give glory to God. 
Anybody in here ready to sign up for persecution? I don't see one hand. Now, I realize it kind of sounds goofy and silly. But it can also sound scary. Let me point out a couple things about making your decision to follow Jesus in this subject of persecution. First, what's the worst thing that can happen if we're persecuted? A missionary shared about being a missionary in Zimbabwe. War was breaking out. And they were in danger of persecuting you. They were foreign Christians in Zimbabwe. They, no offense, they were Caucasian and Zimbabwe is not Caucasian and everyone knew they didn't belong there. These missionaries evacuated their wives and children. While the men stayed behind at the compound to watch over the compound. What's the worst thing could happen, they said. Someone could kill them and they'd be ushered into the presence of Jesus. And when they thought about that, they were able to calmly face the situation and God saw them through and they stayed there the entire war. Secondly, if you face persecution, you will not be alone. I've already shared how Jesus has promised that he'll be with you to the very end of the age and there are going to be others going through it with you. In addition, if you make your decision to follow Jesus, you'll be joining a family of believers. We will gladly stand beside your side. Shoulder to shoulder, we'll have to face it together. We do things together as a family. We do crazy things. We do. You know, one of the strangest things is, is that this building only has one day it's not used. The only day we don't have an event going on in this church is on Monday. And you'll laugh about that because I've kind of saved that as my repair day. Okay, you got to have a day that I can repair things. Because when you're doing things, things break and things... Okay, but every other day of the week, if you go through the month, there's something going on. Tuesday, there's three different Bible studies, right? There, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't even know when the ladies are meeting. I have to call them and ask them what group is meeting when. You're going to say, why? I don't need to know. They just come and study God's word. They put a bunch of tables together and do stuff. We do other things. We have parties. We have celebrations. We are a family. We do things together. Now, today, earlier, you saw the kids all help you. They help with communion. I had a person once tell me I can't have children do that. I'm like, who are you? They're cute. You're not. <laughs> no, they can do it because they'll remember it the rest of their lives. They get to help. We don't make them stand a little corner out of the way and not do anything. They're part of this family. They have as much power in the Holy Spirit as we do. And they smile a lot when they do stuff. Yeah, they're a little bit littler, 
right? And they're learning, but they smile. How many of you noticed that they smiled at you when you were coming up? They were really serious about their job. Guess what? They get to do it because they love God. Everybody in this church does stuff. But when persecution comes, we need to know it's coming. And I promise you it's coming. It ain't, it, it's not that far. It, if you haven't seen it, you're foolish. So we're going to close in prayer. And then we're, if you're a visitor, we'll have one more song. And then you're going to be invited out for some goodies. Because on Communion Sunday, we have lots of goodies out there. And everyone will laugh about this, but my favorite saying, there's no calories in church, and I know that's not true, but it sure makes it easier to eat all that good stuff. It's made with love. But God loves you. He will give you strength for what's coming. You just have to lean on Him. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne, we come before it with improper words, but a proper heart. We ask for strength. We ask for wisdom. We ask for determination to be your light. Father, we don't understand all that's going on, but we stand at your side. We stand before you, and we will defend you and proclaim you. You call us to be a light on the hill. Give us that wisdom. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.